<laughs> Welcome back. This is Survived with Sophie and Lexi. And we started telling our survive story in college and we're moving on to bring you guys more. Through many different topics. And can you guess what this week is? It is Survive the Ghost. Spooky, spooky. Fest. Woo. We Love are Spooky Fest. Yes. We are starting into October now, so you know what that means. It's time to get scared and spookified. Yes. Grab your blanket, light a candle, turn off the lights if you're daring enough, and huddle around. Gather around the campfire. Yes. For some spooky stories this week and the rest of the month. We'll be touching on some spooky spookies, but this week is doubly spooky because it is going to be Survived Ghost. Whoop whoop. And it's going to be even spookier than our normal episodes. Mainly just double the ghosts. Yes. All right. So before we begin into our spooky episodes, we would like to do a little true crime update for you guys because there has been some very crazy true crime news this week. So there was a nine-year-old girl named Charlotte Senna, who went missing on Saturday, September 30th. She was riding her bike in a campground, and she was staying with her parents and I believe also parents' friends in Moreau Lake State Park, which is in upstate New York. And she was biking around this loop of the campground, and she decided to go around to again because, you know, she was a big girl and she could do it all by herself. However, when she didn't come back for around 15 minutes, the parents got worried and went to look for her. And all they found was her bike. They could not find her. So her mother called 911 and an Amber Alert was issued. And there has been police looking, searching. They had so many different agencies. They had people in the water. They had drones, dogs, everything out looking for Charlotte. And thankfully, Charlotte was found safe on October 2nd, and this is still kind of a developing investigation. Uh, There is news about a potential suspect in custody, Craig Ross Jr., and he put a ransom note in the family's mailbox, which ended up leading police to him with fingerprint data, because he was already in the system from the 90s from a DUI. Oh, nice. Isn't isn't that crazy? So from his... Yeah. Hmm. So, thankfully, they were able to find the fingerprint off the ransom note that Craig Ross put in the family's mailbox and trace that back to him. That is just... It's still insane to me how they did that. Um, and also, we they found Charlotte um, 
he kidnapped her, put her in a camper because he was living, apparently he was living with his mother or on her property, um, but in a camper outside. So he put her in that camper, like in a cabinet to hide her. Um, she was not harmed. She was in good health um, when police were there to rescue her. And thankfully, they found her in, you know, a short amount of time. And like we always say with missing persons cases and especially missing children, time is crucial. It's so crucial. And I'm so glad they were able to find Charlotte safe and alive. How did they find her? Have they not released that part yet? They found... Well, when they went to her family's residence, they found the ransom note in the mailbox. They checked it for fingerprints. Then they checked, they found a fingerprint, checked the database. Oh, yeah. I don't know where I was like, (laughs) I don't know what I was thinking there. I was like, so how did they find her? But I guess like, if they lead you to where she's like his residency, I'm sure you're going to check every single nook and cranny. Yeah, and he's probably, if he's been living there for a bit, his residence is probably under his mother's address if he's, yeah. you know, actually living there, which it seemed like he was. So, yeah, yeah. I'm just, she's reunited with her family. Um, and, yeah, we were recording, right now, we were recording this earlier in the week. So this episode's coming out on Friday for you guys. So there might be more updates coming out throughout this week. So this might not be... Um, you know, immediate information, updated information, but just wanted to put that out there. Usually we don't hear cases like this turning out very well, so. It's nice to hear one. Mm-hmm. The police acted really fast. They did. Um, but. but one last thing to get back two before we get to survive the ghost and we reveal what kind of episode it is um we are doing a bonus episode with ghost stories and they can be sent in and read anonymously or you can we can say our, your name um but you would just have to tell us that it was okay to say your name mm-hmm. um, so send them in to our gmail yep or text us, or DM us, or do whatever you feel works for you. Mm-hmm. Um, we are going to get into Survive the Ghost. And the theme tonight is Haunted Cemeteries. Spooky. And, you know, I feel like when you think of ghosts and Halloween, people do think that Senate cemeteries are haunted they do i mean i would mm-hmm. and fun fact i'm not going to say where but the college campus that me and lexi both went to had a cemetery right in the middle of it yep That was also kind of creepy, but anyways, you kind of would just like walk to class and you'd be like, oh, hey, what's up? Mm -hmm. 
Anyways, so to start off our spooky fest, we are going to start off with the Westminster Hall and Burial Grounds. It is a graveyard in a former church, which is located at 519 West Fayette Street in North Green Street, Baltimore, Maryland. It is currently part of the grounds of the University of Maryland School of Law, and it occupies the southeast corner of West Fayette and North Green State Street on the west side of downtown Baltimore. It sits across from the Baltimore VA Hospital, and it is the burial site to many historic figures. And Edgar Allan Poe. If you guys know who he is. He was a writer of kind of some, I believe, spooky stories, kind of. Just like, or poems. Oh my gosh. Now my brain's really trying to work into overdrive, into back-to-school facts here. Well, anyway, Edgar Allan Poe okay. was buried there. We'll talk about him. We're going to talk about him for a little bit in a couple paragraphs. I went a little bit of a down rabbit hole with this one. Okay, so... The burial grounds um, were established in 1787 by the first pre-Biasterian church. I don't think I've said that out loud yet. Presbyterian? Presbyterian. Yeah, Presbyterian. What did I say? I don't even know what you said. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we're going to start. We're just going to cut that out. Presbyterian. It's almost as bad as Joseph. (laughs) I'll just cut that out and put it at the end. Ready? Mm Mm-hmm. The burial grounds were established in 1787 by the first Presbyterian Church, which was a uh, congregation of social and economic elite pro- professors, professors. At the time the ceremony was established and the true church was located in downtown Baltimore. Way back in the day. So, jump, jumping into a little bit, um, fast-forwarding time a little bit from 1787 to 1852, the church was built over the top of a burial grounds, creating a creepy catacomb that um, rich people haunt to this day. Very wealthy people. For years, it was thought that the church was built because of a law that stated that a cemetery needs a church to um, be attached to it. However, built to keep the the cemetery sacred and um, protected, few saw the aging and old-fashioned 18th century style burial grounds a much more appropriate resting place compared to the 19th century. Which... We're going way back, doing some history on this place before we get into the spookiness. Um, 
Over the next 60 years, the new church was built and those laid to rest in the cemetery that included many important figures, um, statesmen, politicians, and soldiers of the Amer- American Revolutionary War in the War of wow. 1812. A lot of important people. Um, General Sam Smith, James McHenry, John Sticker, Paul Bentelou, um, Nathaniel Ramsey, Robert Gilmore, James Sterling, and so forth. Wow. It's not sure if any of these named off have ever really stuck around, but they do think that some of these people have some paranormal activity around their grounds. They're part of the burial grounds. However, as stated above, Edgar Allan Poe is obviously the most popular resident at this cemetery. Mm-hmm. He was born in 1809 and passed away in 1849. He was one of the most influential American writers and poets of all time. Poets, yes. He is the most famous for his poetry and short stories, particularly the ones with mystery and macrime, a central figure of romanticism, and Poe was one of the earliest connoisseurs of a short story, basically meaning that he created it. He created um, for detective fiction genre, contribution to the um, in the science fiction scene. And his hall is considered to be one of the most haunted part of the cemetery. So he's got a whole hall? Yeah. It's like a dedication. Well, considering he, you know, kind of dabbled in the mystery of writing, he'd be like, yeah. It works out. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Sophie. That was pretty cool. I I mean that makes sense. I was like, wow, that's there's a lot of people there, but the location of it makes sense. In Baltimore, Maryland for the um veterans of the Revolutionary War and the War of 1812. Yeah. It's like the perfect um location. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So, if any of our listeners have visited there or seen it or anything, let us know. And the cemetery that I'll be talking about today, it's a little bit smaller or from a smaller town, but I think it's pretty interesting. So... I'm going to be talking about Silver Cliff Cemetery, located in Silver Cliff, Colorado. And we'll be talking about the ghost lights. And (laughs) when I first, like, was reading through this and I heard, like, ghost light, I immediately thought of the Cars movie. You know, when in Cars, when Mater sees the ghost light. 
but it's and ended up just being a lantern and they you know they think it's a a ghost following them is that when they tip the cows yes it's around that scene okay i thought so mm-hmm. but anyway silver cliff colorado is a small town with a population of just 706 so 706 people Small town is located in the wet mountain valley of south-central Colorado. By the early 1800s, more than 5,000 people called Silver Cliff home, including three miners who were walking home from a bachelor party one dark night. And they chose a shortcut through the town cemetery, as one would, and walked past the graves They saw some weird balls of blue and white light that began to dance among the tombstones. Sometimes a miner would try to catch the lights, the lights with a knife, and they ended up slicing their own raincoat um, because they would try to slice it in half. And then in some tellings, the whole town turns off the lights one night just to prove the phenomenon prove the phenomenon isn't just reflections off the headstones so the first sighting of this was from some miners who were walking home from a bachelor party and saw these floating lights now you might be like did they really see that or not, you know, but it actually, you know, piques some interest in people. And there is a lot of different storytellings of this, like the one I just said about how there's a story that said the whole town turned the lights off just to prove they weren't reflections and they were real. However, today, Silvercliff has just around the 600, 700 residents and the cemetery is definitely showing its age. There's wildflowers and very high prairie grasses, grasses that are up against the headstones and growing over the bushes that mark plot lines. And there is actually a big rock with a plaque on it that is a monument to 10 miners who died in a mine explosion in 1885. That's really sad. I know. It is so sad. And Silver Cliff used to be a big mine town. So, like, that's why we're talking about some miners right now. Um, they Like, that's what they used to do for work there. There used to be mines, and that's what everyone did. It's just mine in the mines. Oh, my God, Sophie. I thought you said minors, as in, like, people under, um, underage? Underage. No, that's min- what I thought you meant in the first paragraph. Oh, my. Minors, as in M-I-N-E-R, like, hat and pickaxe type Yeah, minor. not, not underage children. I'm sorry, guys. Maybe our listeners heard it differently, too. Um, I'm talking about, like, yeah, like, underground 
I guess <laughs> they sound the same. Well, now, it, like, in the second paragraph, it makes more sense. But in the first paragraph, it just says three minors were walking home from a bachelor party. Yeah. Like, back in those days, everyone got married when they were young. That's true. You know, I didn't even, yeah, I didn't even think about that. So thanks for bringing that to the attention because I would have just kept not, I wouldn't even have mentioned it. So yeah, talking about like underground minors. I can't believe for the longest time I just thought it was like (laughs) three underagers just having a party. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Well, so there's always been this kind of like, what are these weird lights that these people saw back then, you know? And Brian Bonner, who is the founder of the investigative group of Rocky Mountain Paranormal, says the first written mention he's found of these glowing lights appeared in the 1956 Wet Mountain Tribune article called Silver Cliff Cemetery Ghosts Carrying Own Lights at Night. And the article reads, quote, One evening last week, some of the younger set of the community were taking a nocturnal ride. As they passed the cemetery, screams of terror came from the feminine occupants of the car as they beheld numerous eerie lights dancing among the tombstones. Unquote. Which, hmm. So that is, like, the first time it's ever been, like, written down somewhere. But there's nothing in the 1956 article about the lights ever being seen before then, suggesting that the mid-century incident that I talked about um, may have actually been that first sighting, embellished over the years with claims of drunken miners in slashed raincoats and all that stuff. Um, So no one really could tell if that was real or not, but the fact that these other kids saw this out at night says something. It's actually happening. Mm -hmm. So the story reached national prominence in 1969, when National Geographic published a feature on Colorado. The article concluded with a trip to the Silver Cliff Cemetery, where dim round spots of blue-white light glowed ethereally among the graves. Some believers today say National Geographic published an investigation into these lights. Now, there obviously has not been any confirmation that these are spirits that, you know, or like ghosts carrying their lights at night um, or anything like that. There's been some talk of, oh, they're just reflections off the tombstones, but I don't know. I don't know if I believe that either. I feel like... I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. Because when I, I think like about... it would be more than three then. Uh, yeah. 
I just see, like, when I see this in my brain, I just think of, like, a little glowing ball. Like, they're describing it as a ball instead of, you know, just not just, like, weird lights in the sky, just, like, a glowing ball above the cemetery. And I guess you guys can – I'm going to leave this up to our listeners' interpretation. So you guys can think what you want to think about this one. Um, I guess this one is, like, not necessarily confirmed haunted. But everyone around there, I think, believes that these are ghosts or spirits. um, Maybe kind of reminding everyone that they're there in the nicest way possible. Just glowing at night. Just making a little nightlight for all the little squirrels and chipmunks yeah. to get to their beds yet. Just saying, hey, what's up? I'm here. What's up, homie? Yeah. So I think that's pretty cool. But if anyone has been to Silver Cliff, Colorado, or has visited the cemetery or have seen the glowing lights, let me know because I would like some pictures of that. Yeah, that'd be really nice. Mm-hmm. It'd be very nice and interesting. <laughs> I think that's a really cool story, Sophie. Thank you sure. so much for sharing it with us tonight. Thanks. I hope you guys weren't too spooked out at these stories. You know, we also are just trying to ease you in. I know <laughs> myself, I texted Lexi last night because I was reading through a bunch of uh haunted cemetery stories and oh my gosh I had to quit reading and go to bed because I was getting myself spooked I was like I can't be reading this at night <laughs> like it's, it's too dark out to read this so yeah she texted me and she's like I'm going down this wormhole and it's really scary and I was like well stop reading then <laughs> I was like I'm putting it away <laughs> But yes, if you guys have any of your own spooky ghost stories or anything honestly weird, let us know. Um, Email, DM, text us. We'd love to hear. Anything. Mm -hmm. We'd like to hear from you guys. Mm -hmm. Well, to end it off, Feel free to do to send us anything, but this has been survived with Sophie and Lexi. Thanks for coming to day one or week one of Spooky Fest. Woohoo! Bye, guys. Spooky. Bye. <laughs>